everyone, and welcome to the second of our Scots Wehe Glasgow Film Festival podcasts. And tonight I am joined by Maya, also known as Nightwave. Hello, Maya. Hello, hello. And we're here to talk about the film Underplayed, which is on at this year's festival. And well, how have you been describing it to people? Hmm. Um, well, really, it's just it's a documentary about women in electronic music. That's kind of the the main gist of it, isn't it? Oh, that is the main gist mm. of it, but that's yeah. so much more going on there. So, but um, well, let's start with yourself. What was your introduction to dance and electronic music? Uh, so I'm originally from Slovenia. I'm from Ljubljana, Slovenia, and I started DJing, um, gosh, well, I was 15, so it was a long time ago. Well, I'll just put it like that, more than 20 years ago. <laughs> um, I started DJing back home, and then I moved to London to kind of further pursue my career. And yeah, ended up in Glasgow. So that's uh, Glasgow's my home now, and I love it, and I feel very at home here, and I'll probably never leave. And was the dance scene in Scotland and Glasgow in particular one of the reasons for coming up? Definitely, yeah. I mean, I, I think Glasgow has got one of the best music scenes um, in the whole world, and especially especially dance music, you know, techno and other types of electronic music. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. Best part is in the whole world. <laughs> oh, I thought a party. Wouldn't a party be nice? Oh, my um, God, yeah. <laughs> so Underplayed kind of looks at the lack of uh, representation, the lack of women in electronic dance music, or at least being celebrated in, in that world. Um, did you have heroes and role models, whether women or otherwise, when you were coming through? I did, yeah. I mean, um, I was always, that was before internet as well. So it was kind of trickier to really stay in touch. And as, as it is now, back then, visibility was even more of a problem, you know, because there, there, there always have been women um, artists in the scene, DJs, producers, engineers, yeah. um, just very invisible. You know, there's a lot of gatekeeping still going on. Um, but yeah, I had... Um, Definitely any kind of uh, woman in music that I could, that I found out about, you know, I felt very inspired by it. That's why I really believe that role models, visibility, things like that is really important in terms of booking women, you know, and um, yeah, you can be what you can see. So I'm really wow. a big fan of representation, you know. Yeah, that's a lovely way of putting it, actually. It's a quite an incredible film because it goes back to the early kind of pioneers of electronic music, um, such as Diria Darbyshire and Wendy Carlos. Um, mm -hmm. They were really experimental in what they were doing. Um, were you aware of their work before the film? Yeah, oh. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, my, my cat's called Delia. You know, I'm a ah, huge Delia Darbyshire fan, um, Daphne Oram. I mean, there's so many. Suzanne Chiani, who's also in the documentary, you know, she's yeah. amazing. So there were actually a lot of women involved in the, the pioneering stage. And then I, you know, kind of not really seen in the scene. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a really a poignant piece where, um, oh, I can't remember her name, unfortunately, but she's going to join a class which is all about electronic music. And then the person running it says, we're not going to have women. And she's the only woman. So basically she said, we're not going to have you. And you think, God, I mean, 
and and that's kind of th those feelings kind of run through uh, the film. You know, this idea not that um, a a woman shouldn't be doing that, but that they couldn't do that. That's the kind of feeling that comes across. Yeah, I guess that's all comes with just the, you know, hundreds of years of conditioning and just the whole idea with women and technology and, you know, like raising kids a certain way. So not encouraging girls from a young age at all to do anything tech related or science. It's just very much like dated gender roles and stereotypes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've had experience with that kind of stuff myself or, you know, sometimes it's sort of disbelief from people when they see that a woman <laughs> is doing something like that or it's just very I think it's you know m less and less of that but it's definitely still there yeah it made me think about um in, when Britpop was at its height and Elastica were coming through and there was this rumour going around that Justine Fishman, who was the lead singer of Elastica, didn't write the songs. Her boyfriend, Damon Albarn, was the one who wrote the songs. I mean, it's not just ridiculous, but it's offensive for that kind of I've, thing. I've had that exact same thing. I've been um, told, you know, my my partners, ex-partners, were, were writing my music. I've had that or that I have probably done some other favours um, to get certain things. That still happens, you know, it sounds like something from the 40s or something, but it's still, yeah, it's just like deeply ingrained misogyny, I think, because a lot of people might not be aware of, it's still there. Yeah. And sometimes you encounter it from women as well, you know, it's not just always men, sometimes it's this just messed up kind of patriarchal thing. And it can be women and women can also be gatekeepers sometimes. So it's really interesting to see that, that this whole paradigm that needs to be dismantled, that's not just men that yeah. usually get the blame, you know. I, I think, you know, people from outside the music industry and perhaps dance music in particular think of it as being a kind of cool and welcoming place. Um, but it's clearly not always the case that way. What's been your experience of that? I think being a woman is just... Any, any space is going to have its challenges, you know, right, any yeah. industry, any field you go into, it's still there. That ancient kind of system is, is still there. I personally, to be honest, I did feel quite welcoming, welcomed from the beginning because usually, well, especially electronic music, like rave scene was from, the, from its start, very, you know, welcoming space, focusing on equality and joy and things like that. But... I guess the more and more you become involved in the gears of like industry side of it, it becomes a bit more nasty for everyone, you know, for guys as well. It's yeah. just the music industry can really be a very nasty place. Um, and does that come with kind of as you get greater success or greater um, profile, then there are people that's jealousy or there's just the kind of willing to keep people in their place? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, the more successful you get in any field, the more, um, challenges it brings to it you know there's a lot of people that don't, don't feel that you should be um, where you are or you don't deserve it or you know everyone has some kind of opinion or comment on it um, yeah and increasingly as you know your own you touch on um, the trolling aspects which are now a more uh, a part of everyday life unfortunately in a lot of areas yeah. but are quite recent in the way that you are playing um, at Boiler Room. Could you explain the importance of Boiler Room for a start? Um, so 
So Boiler Room was the first show that really um, got big in terms of streaming. You know, mm -hmm. now obviously stream, especially during COVID, is just everywhere nonstop. But uh, when it started, I think it was maybe 11 or 12 years ago, I'm not sure. It was like the first, that kind of format, you know, that would bring that experience to everyone. And I think it's absolutely amazing. And people that run it are great. You know, I've done a few Boiler Rooms uh, it's great for your career, but it also means that you are really exposed to all these keyboard warriors that hide behind, you know, anonymous yeah. screens. Um, and a lot of these people, just sad, you know, probably damaged people who get joy from causing pain or, and they will go and they will just, you know, troll or leave horrible comments. And a lot of times... This happens to everyone as well, you know, yeah. it's not just, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just hate speech in general. So that's something that had to really be moderated. So I think because of my experience that started happening. So these shows started moderating the comments. And I think it was ridiculous that that was allowed from the start, you know, because it didn't just happen to me every time um, a woman played boiler room that those comments were there. And it's not just, you know, they were also racist comments, homophobic comments sometimes for some people. So I really, really believe that, that those kind of spaces need to be moderated. Yeah, absolutely. And we've yeah. seen that kind of every now and then. It's one of the most powerful, for me, uh, bits in the film where you're um, DJing and it should be, and it is one of the greatest nights of your life, you're doing it for the first time, and then these comments start coming in and we, we get to see them. And you're saying, this is the equivalent of me being at my work and someone just shouting abuse in my face while I'm at work. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it just wouldn't happen hardly anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, at that time, I'd, I'd already done other boiler rooms before, right. so I was very much aware that it was coming. And the day before, you know, another girl did it in Berlin and it was the same. So I was absolutely dreading it. Unfortunately, I also had some technicals on that on that day, which I think you can see in the movie. There was yeah. like some stuff happening with the decks and, um, you know, anything like that is absolute fuel for these type of trolls. So I didn't see the comments when I was playing, but right. I, oh, I, I, I could just I could just feel it. You know, I, I knew. And that was for me at that point. I remember even thinking, shall I just because I, I had some issues and I just thought, shall I just leave? And I thought, no, I'm going to keep going. And um a lot of people had lots of nice things to say as well, you yeah, know, but the, the, the ones that, that were horrible were very horrible. And it was what, what, what hurts the most is that it's not just comments about um, my skill as a DJ, but it was definitely misogynistic comments, you know, and that's just, that's horrendous. Um, but yeah, you know, that, that experience, I think because of what happened, then it was like the last drop and they started moderating things. But it kept, ha you know, it happened before, many years before, not just to me, so. And, you know, you say there's lots of positive comments, of course there will be, but human nature sometimes is to kind of fix on the one that's not yeah. so. And, it, and it, it's a fact, I mean, I can still think of things that were said to me years and years ago that rankle at times they come back. But it must be very difficult to kind of deal with that. And I know um, there was a kind of negative result of that, you know, you'd kind of, stepped away from it for a while yeah oh it was really yeah it was tra a traumatic experience but you know and anything like that is usually a catalyst for great change so and it was for me as well so it helped me really 
um, get back to my healing work and stuff I do, um, which then helped me become a better producer and a better DJ. So it was that everything is good for something. Yeah. Um, and you went yeah. into teaching and um, can you tell us a little bit about Producer Girls? Yeah, so Producer Girls is a project started by um, my good friend Emma in London. And then I was already teaching something in Scotland and we decided to kind of join forces and create a really proper kind of course framework for teaching music production. Um, and what we do is we do workshops, very hands-on workshops where um, participants, the ones that get in, the hardest thing actually is, is selecting people because we get so many applications, so many. So um, yeah, and then we just give them the software and we do the workshop and everyone has their own laptop. It's very relaxed. Everyone, you know, people normally feel relaxed to ask questions. They don't feel like questions are silly or, um, it's just see, like more of a safe space for women to make music and learn. It just sometimes those spaces are important. Um, and in terms of the Glasgow ones we did, we had about 150 applications for the first one. So that's huge. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and it's kind of something I always mention when people say, well, when girls here, women are not really interested in making music. You know, I think that's proof that they are. Um, no, absolutely. And I think yeah. what comes across in the film is the importance of role models. You know, you, the inspiration comes from the representation. And, uh, you know, there's a point made that art or mu music, but all art shouldn't be consumed. It should inspire. And you can't be inspired of the person. You don't have anyone to aspire to. Yeah, definitely. And what's good that is that I do think because of all the pressure from from people like like everyone in the documentary and all my colleagues, all the other women in the industry, you know, we, ha we all have kind of our own community and we support each other, which is beautiful. And it's just nice to see that we've always maintained that and we've always pushed on press and um, just just to get to get noticed. And I think now things have really changed and you can really see a massive difference, especially in terms of DJs. I mean, there's hundreds, even in Glasgow, you know, there's so many girls DJing. Yeah. It's good. And that's, I mean, the story of the film or the arc of the film is that uh, things are improving, but also you get a lot of statistics about the situation was in terms of payment, in terms of representation um, and all of these things, which you can see when you see the film yourself. And uh, yes, yeah, a strange mix of being angry, I suppose, that that was the situation, but also hopeful that the future is going to be even better. Yeah, exactly. And that's like just what the whole world, you know, Western world, that's how it is at the moment. We still have a lot of, um, you know, there's changes to be made in all, all terms of inclusivity and representation. So I think we have to be very intersectional and work together on these things. But yeah, it's like that in the music industry, but it's like that in, in every field, yeah. I'm sure, you know, it's just kind of hundreds of that or thousands of years of structure and conditioning how we are yeah you're trying slow, to slowly overcome. dismantle it yeah um and it, 
underplayed does for me what all best music documentaries should and it makes you want to investigate more and more about the music some of the music's quite incredible it's it's, it's when people say oh it's dance music they might and they're not familiar they might have one idea in their head but such a range of styles and uh techniques going back to the early stuff to the stuff you do yourself yeah 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 there's there's lots um i guess like electronic music as an umbrella term there's just like you could find yeah. hundreds of so-called subgenres, or um and it's very creative very inventive stuff you know some of it is extremely experimental and um and fun at the same time. So I think a lot of people, first thing they think about is like, doom, doom, doom. And there is that, but there's just so much creativity and things to celebrate. I think it's really beautiful. It is really beautiful. And one of the things that shouts out is when you see the scenes of the, the raves, the huge ones, and you just think, oh, that seems like a different world, that. How are you coping without live music? Oh, <laughs> I'm coping, but that's about it. You know, it really, for, for all of us, um, dance, like clubs and festivals and everything, it's not just fun. It's, a, it's the whole of our lives, our passion, our therapy, our love, you know, what we, we gave all of, of what we are to that. And now it's taken away. It's really, really difficult. I mean, it's going to be for me a, a year now, next week from my last gig, you know, so... That's just, yeah, but you learn to adapt and it's, a, it's another challenge to overcome and see what good can come out of it, of it and how you can grow. That's to me, is the only way, you know, you have to adapt and how, see how you can grow from it. And hopefully not too long now. Do you have any plans? Can you make any plans for future events? <sighs> not for... To be honest, not for for live for live stuff for touring. Yeah. It's just it's just no one knows. Yeah, I'm hoping the only thing I'm you know I'm hope so obviously so playground festival is happening and Riverside at the moment they're happening um, in September, and I'm hoping that by then, but to be honest, I'm just not. I have yeah. no expectations because I learned my lesson last year. I thought, oh, this will be done by May, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought I'd be back on, on the road by May, but we all know that yeah, didn't happen. I think we've all got to that stage where we're not sure what's going to happen next. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think Underplay's a fantastic film, and um, I hope as many people as can see it at the festival, because they can see it at yeah, home. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Maya, thank you so much for talking to me today. I You're really so appreciate You're so welcome. It. it was really nice to meet you. And you too. And we'll be back soon with someone completely different. Cheers. Mm -hmm.